Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Village Farms International's third quarter 2020 financial results conference call. Earlier this morning, Village Farms issued a news release reporting its financial results for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020. That news release, along with the company's financial statements, are available on the company's website at villagefarms.com under the investor setting. Please note that today's call is being broadcast live over the internet and will be archived for replay both by telephone and via the internet beginning approximately one hour following the completion of the call. Details of how to access the replays are available in today's news release. Before we begin, let me remind you that forward-looking statements may be made today, during or after the formal part of this conference call. Certain material assumptions were applied in providing these statements, many of which are beyond our control. These statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that can cause the actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in forward-looking statements. A summary of these underlying assumptions, risks, and uncertainties is contained in the company's various securities filings with the SEC and Canadian regulators including its Form 10-K MD&A for the year ended December 31st, 2019, and the 10-Q for the quarter ended September 30th, 2020, which are available on EDGAR. These forward-looking statements are made as of today's date and, except as required by applicable securities law, we undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise any such statements. I would now like to turn the call over to Michael DeGilio, Chief Executive Officer of Village Farms International. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Carol. And thank, thank you everyone for joining us today. With me on today's call is Village Farms Chief Financial Officer, Stefan Ruffini. This morning, I'm going to spend a few minutes highlighting the key takeaways for the quarter. Uh, Steve will then review the financial results and I'll return with some concluding thoughts and then we'll have some Q&A. The first highlight that I'd like to call out is profitability. Village Farms once again achieved positive EBITDA with contributions from each of our business segments, cannabis and produce. Produce showed another strong improvement year on year and grew quarter on quarter as well. And Pure Sun Farms posted its eighth consecutive quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA and more importantly, its seventh consecutive quarter of net income. That is an achievement that is unmatched by any other Canadian cannabis supplier. Pure Sun Farms quarter on quarter growth was driven by increases across all key metrics. From my seat, this is hard earned profitability that demonstrates the underlying strength of our business model, coupled with execution expertise, which draws on both Pure Sun Farms cannabis market experience and Village Farms 30 plus years of experience in large scale low-cost intensive agriculture. As we welcome back this expertise under one roof with the closing of the Pure Sun Farms acquisition, we look forward to even more opportunities ahead. On our last conference call, I shared with you that Q2 was a profound quarter for Pure Sun Farms, proving out that even with a very high proportion of sales derived from our large format, lower price offerings, Pure Sun Farms could be profitable. The third quarter now is evidence of the earnings power of Pure Sun Farms as sales grow, and as Steve will discuss, the composition of those sales in Q3 swung back to larger proportion of small format product sales. An example would be our 3.5 gram offerings as a centerpiece, which currently drives our brand awareness, our BC grown branded house strategy. The second highlight I'd like to discuss is related to profitability in that it is a key driver of our success in amassing a leading share of the branded retail market. 
and growing our wholesale channel sales, and that is quality and cost of production. It's a vicarious circle built and operates the most efficient operations to produce quality cannabis products to grow market share and drive profitability. The more brand strength we build, the more of our market's profit pool we should be able to claim. On these calls, we've shared with you market share data that is available, and we hope that you will continue to benchmark ourselves. As we have only been in a retail cannabis space for one year, I am pleased that the sequential sales growth was a combination of underlying market growth, new product launches, brand performance, and a more normalized sales mix. In Ontario, which provides the market share data that we all are able to discuss, the Pure Sun Farms brand again led all individual brands in terms of both volume, sales, and dollar sales in the dried flower category with just under 13% share by volume. That number jumped in excess of 15% in October. We also remain the top selling brand by both volume and dollars, not just for the year to date, but going all the way back to the launch of our retail products one year ago. It's a remarkable, consistent performance, unmatched. As you know, from the beginning, we have believed in a rather simple and straightforward business model, firmly rooted in our scale and efficiency. Our cost of production is still the lowest among publicly traded greenhouse and indoor producers, and significantly lower than the vast majority of our peers. This is the key to our honest circle of generating profitability and brand investment. And here is how this standard, this is translated into our Q3 cannabis results. Net sales increased 75% sequentially from the second quarter to just under 23 million driven by strong increases in both retail branded sales and sales in the wholesale channel. And I will note that only a small percentage, less than 5% of Q3 revenue was generated by the launch of our 2.0 products, which was very late in the quarter. That drove a sequential quarterly increase in net income of 200% to 3.2 million. The third takeaway from the quarter is that the value of managing our business with prudence and discipline. From day one, we have built and guided Pure Sun Farms for profitability and return on invested capital. We have done this with the advantage of our decades of experience. We did not overbuild as many others have, and as I will discuss more in a moment, we are actively managing our production levels to the ramp in market demand. We continue to see increased activity in our wholesale channel, not the result of any shortage of supply in the market, but rather a strategic decision by some producers who have realized they can source high quality product, perhaps at a lower cost than they can grow it. We are encouraged by this activity as it could mean better supply demand dynamics going forward. We believe this cost-quality advantage combined with our long-term capacity will be a significant competitive advantage for the foreseeable future. And we will continue to believe that we could supply as much as 30 to 35% of the total Canadian cannabis flower market with BC-grown product, in addition to being a leading brand with in excess of 20% of the retail channel. I do, I do want to remind everyone that with the acquisition of the entirety of Pure Sun Farms, our Village Farms is now free to use our 2.6 million square foot Delta One facility for cannabis production anytime we deem that it makes sense to proceed. As a reminder, Delta One is located on the same site as Delta Two and Three, which provides significant advantages over geographically dispersed operations, is highly scalable, and is about 20% larger than the Delta II and three facilities combined. We are now back at full production at Delta III after scaling back during the summer as we actively aligned our output and inventory with near-term demand, which afforded us the additional benefit of doing a complete cleaning and sterilization. In addition, half of the 1.1 million square foot system facility to Delta III, Delta II is completed 
no other capital requirements with trying to bring that into production in next year. The most important operational highlight of Pure Sun Farms during Q3 was the launch of our first 2.0 products and bottled oils in very late September. As we expected, the value proposition for our dried flower products that has resonated so well with consumers, high-quality products that people want at an approachable price, is similarly resonating with consumers of our vapes and oils. These products embody our uncomprising approach to quality and our commitment to a pure cannabis experience. Our full-spectrum 510 vapes are made with 100% pure activity cannabis extract, no flavoring agents, added terpenes, or thinning agents, and of our best strains. Both our vape and oil products have had excellent traction out of the gate and have been very well received by consumers. Consistent with the pricing strategy for our dried flower products, we launched our oil and vape products at a price and quality that we believe will entice those still purchasing cannabis from illicit sources to transition to the legal market. As a reminder, the illicit market is estimated to still represent anywhere from around half to three-quarters of the total annual cannabis sales, depending on market and geography. These continue to be the power users of cannabis and will be a major driver of growth in the legal market. We believe that these consumers ultimately want to purchase their cannabis from a legal source and are happy to pay a fair tax in the process to do so with confidence in the consistency, quality, and safety of the product at the right price. Increasingly, they will have access to such product as legal cannabis resale network stores network rapidly expands. And again, we are uniquely able to take this market approach and be profitable. And I would like to once again publicly congratulate the entire Pure Sun Farms team, Mandish and his whole group, on their successful launch of our 2.0 products, and yet another accomplishment by this remarkable team. Our Q3 only further underscores the value and importance of our completion of the acquisition of the remainder of Pure Sun Farms last week. It brings our vision to take the unmatched assets, people, and know-how of Village Farms to build the best cannabis business in Canada, full circle. So turning to our cannabis opportunities in the U.S., with the election behind us, we look forward to the regulatory clarity that may occur. We continue to be encouraged by the direction of the regulatory environment and have been hard at work developing multiple parallel strategies to expand a number of potential paths to capitalize on this opportunity. Uh, internationally, we have invested in strategic uh, partnerships like in Asia-Pacific, company Altum, which is making steady progress on the execution of its strategy, initially focused on the Hong Kong market. Uh, so turning now to our produce business for a moment, as I noted in the onset, Village Farms has had another good quarter. The continuing strong price performance for tomatoes drove higher sales and our continued progress in transition and growing capacity displaced for cannabis to our partner growers, as well as our continued focus on cost management, contributed to a $4.2 million EBITDA turnaround to a positive $2.2 million. While these numbers are important in and of themselves, as you have heard me say many times, what is also critical, important is the breadth and depth of the strength of the organization that allies our produce business. It is the engine that is powering our outsized growth opportunities in cannabis and related opportunities, both domestically and internationally. I'd like to turn the call over to Steve and he'll talk through our financial results, Steve. Thanks, Mike. I'd like to expand on Mike's comments for providing more background on the financial results which support the Village Farm strategy. Our produce business. Produce sales of 43 million for the quarter increased over 13, over 12 percent versus Q3 2019. On the back of our average selling price of tomatoes increasing 30 percent year on year. On lower tomato volumes, as we had no production from our Delta II facility in 2020, as is now being converted to cannabis production, as Mike mentioned. The increase in produce 
selling prices essentially rolls directly into our gross margin, as there is no impact on our cost of sales. As such, we saw a year-on-year improvement in our Q3 gross margin of $6.2 million to $5.6 million from a loss in the prior third quarter of 2019 of 600000 Our produce business had a 13% gross margin for the quarter. The incremental increase in our gross margin was driven by the higher selling price and lower tomato volumes, again, due to the conversion of the Delta II facility. Produce EBITDA increased by $4.2 million year-on-year to $2.2 million on the back of the improvement in our produce gross margin, which was offset by a lower year-on-year addback to depreciation since the Delta II facility was not in production and a higher year-on-year SG&A in Q3 2020 versus Q3 2019 of $1.2 million, which was primarily related to substantive expenses involved with the acquisition of the financing of the remaining Pearson Farm shares. I should note that these incremental SG&A expenses are not truly related to the produce business, but are more corporate in nature. Supply shortages due to the increase in grocery store traffic certainly helped the produce pricing in the late spring and throughout the summer of 2020. I'd like to extend our sincere thanks to all the Village Farms employees who have continued to work all out on growing, distributing, and supporting our Village Farms produce brands by getting our fresh produce on the shelves, our strategic retail partners in both the U.S. and Canada. The commitment by our entire workforce has truly been amazing throughout the pandemic. I mentioned last quarter that the strong year-on-year pricing would result in positive EBITDA and cash flow in the produce business, and we expect this trend to continue for the balance of 2020. Turning to cannabis, a reminder, for the quarter ended September 30, 2020, the Pearson Farms results have not been consolidated in the Village Farms Q3 results, as we owned 58.7% of the Pearson Farms business during the next year but we did not control it until November 2nd, at which time we owned 100%. I will address the consolidation of performer financials shortly. As Mike noted, sales have reported 75% sequentially, and we continue to build on our strong brand position, which I view as a strong indicator for our future, especially given the uneven year-ago dynamics in the Canadian cannabis market. Pearson Farms retail flower sales represented 48.5% of our sales dollars for the quarter. The late quarter launch of Pearson Farms 2.0 products contributed 4.5% of sales, 4, 5, 4.5% of sales this quarter, and wholesale sales made up the balance of or 47% of our sales. With the retail channel totaling 53% of sales, Pearson Farms quarter-on-quarter growth in retail sales of 30% was driven by a 166%. 166% increase in its small format SKUs and a 30% increase in pre-rolls, which were offset by a 43% decrease in Pearson Farms retail large format sales. The large format sales in this quarter were, as expected, ongoing replenishment sales as compared to the second quarter, which were driven by higher launch-related sales. Our quarter-on-quarter average selling price did result in a 13.3% increase which was driven by the increase in the ratio of our small format sales versus our large format sales, which enhances our margins, as well as an increase in the blended net wholesale pricing for the third quarter versus the second quarter. But wholesale pricing is driven by spot market dynamics. We mentioned sequential sales growth. Looking ahead to Q4, while we continue to experience continuing month-on-month, year-on-year growth in our retail and wholesale businesses. I want to remind investors that Q4 2019 was marked by the pullback of retail buying by provincial buyers who are managing the conversion to Cannabis 2.0 and their year-end inventory. To date, we have not seen any indication of this reoccurring, but Pearson Farms and our competitors still operate in a relatively new distribution system, and there remain many external economic factors, not to mention the pandemic, that could slow our strong momentum. In recognition of the overall supply situation in the market and our customer demand, we actively pared back our production during the third quarter, resulting in a decrease in our inventory, both by volume and value. Overall, Pearson Farms inventory balance, including work and process, decreased approximately 6% quarter-on-quarter, 
which for those that read our financial footnotes can be seen on footnote seven. Inside of the overall inventory total, we decreased our finished goods flower inventory by over 15% quarter on quarter. We continue to actively assess supply versus our demand. Presently, the Duck 3 facility is back in full production based on our sales forecast. The ability to ramp up and down our supply is one of the beauties of this crop versus our historical fresh produce crops, which are annual commitments. We actively change strains to mirror our sales forecast in order to maximize our cash flows, but more importantly, to maintain fresh flower inventory. Switching to Pearson Farms profitability. Gross margin for the quarter was 34.6% versus 33.4% in Q2 versus 68.6% in Q3 of 2019, which had a totally different demand dynamic. This quarter's cost of sales includes an inventory write-down of 1.4 million Canadian, 1 million U.S. for the distillate inventory purchased earlier for which the market value has dropped since our purchase. Without the write-down, Pearson Farms' adjusted gross margin was 40.7%, which is a true reflection of the actual gross margin achieved against this quarter's The remaining distillate inventory has been assessed versus the market value, and there's no need for any further distillate write-down. The distillate will be used in Cannabis 2.0 products in Q4 and early 2021. The receipt, finally, of the Pearson Farms Extraction License from Health Canada in September will enhance our gross margin in Cannabis 2.0 products. The vape pens and oils in the market today were manufactured by a third-party extractor. As such, the margin on these SKUs was lower than on our flower products in the third quarter. We expect our Cannabis 2.0 products to have a higher margin as we manufacture our own vape pens and other Cannabis 2.0 products in the coming quarters. It was important for Pearson Farms to launch these vapes and oils in advance of obtaining its distraction license due to the ongoing success of its flower brand. From a gross margin perspective on retail versus wholesale, the margins were somewhat similar this quarter. Our retail margin was pretty consistent by format. So as we sell more small format SKUs versus large format, our margin is enhanced as occurred this quarter. As mentioned, we do expect an increase in our retail margin as we increase our Cannabis 2.0 product sales and transition to our own manufactured 2.0 products. Wholesale margins are driven, as mentioned, by spot market dynamics, which are heavily impacted by available quality and potency versus the needs of other LPs. We continue to actively access our mix of sales by channel. SG&A expenses for the quarter for Pearson Farms decreased approximately 13% year over year, which is the result of COVID-19 related wage subsidies. Without these subsidies, SG&A expenses were essentially flat year on year. As Mike previewed during last quarter's call, we have made the decision not to provide detailed information on Pearson Farms kilograms sold or produced or provide our average selling price or cost of production. As the market continues to become more sophisticated, it is not in our best interest to disclose. As you can see from our Q3 gross margin percentage of 40.7% without the distillate inventory write-down, as compared to our Q2 gross margin of 33.4%, we continue our strong financial performance consistent with the virtuous circle that Mike spoke of earlier. It is simply not in our commercial interest to be telling our customers our cost of production or margins. We have demonstrated our low-cost production and brand quality, no need to give away proprietary information. The Village Farms and Pearson Farms balance sheets continue to be on solid ground to support our ongoing businesses and internal growth objectives. Both entities have borrowing capacity on their existing bank loans. As an aside, on September 30, 2020, for the first time in my tenure with Village Farms, we had a net cash position of 22 million U.S. Of course, we just paid 60 million Canadian or 40 million U.S. to complete the acquisition of Pearson Farms on November 2nd as well as issued a 19.9 million Canadian note or U.S. balance of 15 million due on May 2nd, 2021 to complete the acquisition. So we're back into our normal net debt position as of today, but we are on firm financial ground with our ongoing positive cash flow from operations in both produce and cannabis. Speaking of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Performa. As we mentioned in our closing press release earlier this month, Pearson Farms will be fully consolidated in Village Farms results beginning on November 2nd. 
As such, our Q4 results and full year 2020 results will include roughly one month of JV accounting, i.e. October and Q4, and 10 months of JV accounting for the full year 2020, and two months of consolidated Pearson Farms results in Q4 2020 and for the full year. Since the acquisition of the remainder of Pearson Farms is deemed to be a material acquisition, acquisition for Village Farms, we are required to file performance combined financial statements for the enlarged entity, so combining Village Farms and Pearson Farms, as if the transaction occurred retroactively to January 1, 2020. The report is due within 75 days of closing. For Canadians on the call, this report you will know as a bar report, meaning business acquisition report. In the interest of giving the market a view of the income statement component of the pro forma report, we've provided it within our press release this morning. As caveated in the press release, this is for informational purposes only and is based on the preliminary estimates and accounting judgments. Based on the early indication pro forma for the nine months ended September 30, 2020, our statutory reported income at $0.08 cents per share would be $0.13 cents per share if the businesses had been combined for the entire year. And our 2020 year-to-date nine-month adjusted EBITDA would increase to $12.5 million from our reported year-to-date adjusted EBITDA of $7.9 million, which I, I We'll note does include, we do include inventory write-offs in our adjusted EBITDA when we report it. We do not add it back. As such, while still subject to the completion of the report, we are confident when we state the acquisition was very accretive for Village Farms. We are actively working on the fair market accounting of the transaction and look forward to completing and filing the required U.S. and Canadian reports as soon as possible and hopefully no later than early December. I want to recognize and thank all the accounting staff for all their efforts and incremental work this year in converting Village Farms and Pearson's Farms from IFRS to U.S. GAAP, as well as now the acquisition and consolidation of Pearson Farms into Village Farms. With that, I'll turn it back over to Mike. Thanks, Steve. So, so going forward, uh, the outlook for Village Farms, I believe, has never been so positive with strong momentum in the business and considerable opportunities still ahead. It was a very solid quarter, many accomplishments. The team has done uh, a superb job. And going forward, each quarter is marked by steady, meaningful progress in our trans- transformation to a vertically integrated agriculture-based CBG business as we aggressively pursue high-growth opportunities in emerging legal cannabis and related markets in the United States and targeted markets internationally. We are proving out the value of leveraging the expertise, the people, the institutional knowledge for new high-growth, high-value markets. Pearson Farms is built entirely on the foundation of Village Farms, our model, our facilities, our people, our experience, our know-how, all of which set it up for success by allowing us to bring in the best management team in the industry, and those are the pure sub-farms folks who continue to perform brilliantly. Owning the entirety of Pure Sun Farms is not, not only provides our company and our shareholders with the full contribution of its financial success, but as a, as a sole owner, we are now in a position to work to capitalize on opportunities that were constrained by this particular joint venture. We expect continued steady, strong sales momentum based on a number of very clearly visible factors. Growth in the Canadian cannabis market, which should be accelerated by the swift opening of new retail stores, especially in Ontario and British Columbia, to ramp up our sales of our vape oil products and the introduction of new 2.0 products, and a natural shift in the market landscape to fewer suppliers. This momentum combined with our unmatched North American assets totaling over 10.5 million square feet, more than half of which is in the United States, in which no other cannabis company in the United States or Canada has, is why we continue to be so confident in our prospects for low and high THC cannabis markets in the U.S. and internationally. We have the considerable benefit of being able to pursue these opportunities funded by our produce business, which again is performing quite well. All this continues to position our company to deliver growth and generate a return on invested capital that leads our industry and drives value creation for all our shareholders. So with that, we'll open up to any questions that uh, our analysts may have. Carol? Thank you. We invite institutional analysts to ask questions. 
To do so, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound or hash key. Your first question this morning comes from Doug Cooper from Beacon Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, everybody, and congratulations on a great quarter. Uh, Steve, just <clears throat> I want to start with clarification on uh, revenue per gram. You said it was up 13.3% sequentially. Um, is that just on the retail side, or is that uh, an average uh, pricing between retail and wholesale? That's across all channels. Okay. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the difference maybe between the retail pricing and the wholesale in terms of, if you don't want to give exact numbers, maybe just uh, the quantum difference between the two that you're seeing? Uh, again, wholesale pricing, um, the range of wholesale pricing can is all over the place. Um, you know, whether we're selling, for instance, trim or selling high potency, uh, you know, grade one flower. So the range is, is much broader. Uh, the retail pricing has been pretty consistent, uh, you, you know, quarter on quarter between Q2 and Q3, large format, small format. But essentially our average price was enhanced and our margin was enhanced in Q3 versus Q2 because we, as a percentage, we sold more small format in Q3 as a percentage of retail sales than we did in Q2, which was predominantly, as we mentioned on that call, driven by large format. Um, can you give us some idea of the break on, on the retail side, the breakdown uh, by uh, region, say Ontario, BC, Alberta, and, and did you have much sort of load in, into Saskatchewan? I think that came live in the quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Ontario clearly continues to be our largest customer, but um, and, and, and there are, and also impacting pricing is that there are pricing differences on the format between the provincial buyers. So um, it, it's not like a, a national price. So it, it does it does vary. So a weighting of sales into one quarter into one province versus another quarter also will impact the average selling price for a particular quarter. Yeah, I think going forward, like the aggressive growth in retail stores that Ontario is talking about right now, very aggressive over the starting now over the next year, coupled with uh, BC. I think that'll continue to drive uh, more penetration going forward in Ontario, seconded by BC. Um, what do you think the optimal split in your business is between retail and wholesale? And Mike, can you just comment maybe a little further? Maybe I missed it. You talked about maybe the number of suppliers dropping. Um, can you just expand on that a little bit? Well, that's a perception, but I guess I'll expand on it by saying there are many examples of premium uh, brands, uh, CBG companies that are very well-known brands, have huge penetration and market share, but have a wholesale strategy. Uh, there's a lot of examples of that. And it's still a very nascent industry, and, and we want to keep our options open where we're going. You know, for us, we've made the investment already, the capital investment of Delta II, which can double the capacity right here with Village Farms. And uh, as I mentioned on my remarks, we have Delta I, which is larger than those two cumulatively. So, you know, our, our focus is as a uh, branded house to continue to maximize our market share at the retail level, but uh, right now I think uh, a wholesale venue for us works. There's a lot of smaller companies that have a unique niche in the marketplace or are doing unique things that don't have cultivation, and to the extent that those companies uh, are innovative and maybe doing things we won't do or can't do or may never do, why not have a relationship with that? And uh, there are some companies, you know, we in our 30-year history in produce, even though 80, 75 to 80% of our sales are direct to the retail trade, we've always had relationships that make sense on portion of our business. So I think I'd rather not say there's not really a goal what that percentage will be, Doug, but we'll see how it goes over the next uh, two years. It should be a lot of interesting changes in the Canadian landscape. Okay. Uh, do you have a? Do you know what the breakdown? Maybe just talk about Ontario in particular. Breakdown between sales is 
at the retail level between flour and 2.0 products. And I guess I'm just trying to, you know, if 2.0 products were 4.5% of your sales, what do you think they could be, you know, six months, a year from now? You know, I, we still believe flour rules. I mean, I, I, if you look at the U.S. or individual states, uh, it's still flour, and uh, there's no indication that that's changing. I think we'll see increased uh, uh, cannibalization of the illicit trade with 2.0 products taking more of it uh, as, as these stores roll out and there's uh, a retail presence, and the Canadian government maybe once there's adequate amount of retail stores will shut down more and more illegal trades. But as far as the split, I think 2.0 products will continue to grow, but the greater percentage is still flour. You know, as I mentioned on the call, our 3.5 gram you know, premier strains are doing very well, and we see that continuing to grow for the foreseeable future. So our next question comes from Rahul Sarkasar from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, Mike and Steve. Uh, yeah, let me reiterate that comment. Okay. Yeah, congrats on the on the rocking quarter. Uh, well done, guys. So, um, first question is uh, clearly there's a you know clear dominance in the deep value segment in, in flour. Um, now with the emergence of uh, you know you're putting out vapes on the market and noticing the pricing. I guess you guys are being pretty aggressive in pricing. So. How do you see uh, pricing going forward uh, driving uh, revenue relative to you know the competition, particularly as you know retail is opening up as you noticed there as you noted there, Mike? Well, I'm just going to reiterate, Raul, that our pricing strategy was always based on the fact that we saw the illicit trade and the, the main consumer in Canada being the consumer who's been there for decades, the everyday user, the casual weekend user, and that's the target market we've gone after. And in order to uh, provide, in order to cannibalize that customer to us, uh, we have to order all, offer all these key attributes in terms of quality, potency, safety, so on, but at an affordable price. And that was coined by the team at uh, Pure Sun Farms early on, affordable luxury, and that's uh, a focus of it. So that's where we're positioning the price points, and we're doing that more or less on all the products we launch. Now, if that price point is 30% under other competitors, so be it. Uh, it's uh, You just have to live with it because that's setting the market. It's a five, six billion dollar illicit trade market that needs to come here. So that's how we position the pricing going forward. Okay, great. Thanks so much. And then in terms of the uh the wholesale, uh clearly that was a you know relatively large portion of your total rev. So number one, do you see that uh you know some being durable? You know, are you seeing durability in that going forward? And also maybe provide your co your comments in in the context of you know the recent crop Croptober of outdoor grow, and how do you see Village Farms product you uh, competing, particularly in the wholesale market, relative to all of that outdoor grow? Well, you know, wholesale has a stigma attached to the term, so maybe you know the correct term is in wholesale as opposed to alternative channels. An example would be, I mean, private private brands. I mean, if uh, if uh, Costco in uh, Canada wants to eventually sell cannabis under their uh, corporate brand name, I mean, that's that's an alternative channel. So I think wholesale tends to have this stigma that it's uh, not important. And again, I think it's too early to tell, but we, we look at those relationships that we think could be meaningful. We're profitable, to use the term wholesale, we are profitable at the wholesale level, and we prove that. Uh, all along. So uh, right now, when we look at the fact that we've made our investment in Delta II, but we weren't quick to, you know, put that in production. We're very prudent with our decisions. We don't want to produce anything that we can't sell, and we're going to be patient as we ramp that up. But uh, we can look at alternative channels and still remain true to our positive cash flow. So I look at it as a combination of wholesale, private brand, uh, other markets, other channels that people are doing very innovative, niche-oriented uh, uh, offerings and see how that flows in the next couple of years for us. 
Your next question comes from Adam Buckham from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, now, I understand the Canadian rec market is both volatile and dynamic, but as we think about Q3 flower mix versus moving forward, do you see this quarter as a more normal mix, or do you think there could be further shifts in small format in the near term? I think uh, I would say, you know, a more normal, certainly a much more normal quarter than the second quarter. And certainly for us, if you remember last year, Adam, I mean, we were, we didn't have our sales license basically almost into the fourth quarter of last year. So it's been one year. So we can't really look at how we performed last year. As Steve said in his comments, uh, uh, it was a different market uh, last year and we were selling solely 100% wholesale from the first, second, third quarter. So for us, getting some historical data going forward is what we need. The second quarter of this year, uh, and to an extent the third, was really uh, impacted by COVID, uh, especially the second quarter. You've heard people, other companies saying, you know, pantry hoarding and so on. And I think the fact that we launched a large format at that time was advantageous. It was the right product at the right time. But I think uh, this third quarter has shown where there's more normalization uh, between uh, our offerings. And it's early for us on a 2.0. We just launched it at the very end of the last quarter. We're very pleased uh, where we are today. We didn't want to talk about any specific numbers at this point, but I can tell you we remain very confident in uh, the direction we're going from the early numbers we're seeing. So. You know, I think it's a great question, and I think the fourth quarter will probably uh, help reinforce uh, what that balance will be. Okay, that, that's great. Thanks. Um, and I was just wondering if there's any updates on progress on signing some, some new provincial customers. Well, there is progress. I mean, we're still, uh, you know, eyeballing Quebec. <laughs> uh, the team's doing a lot there. Uh, it's not an easy penetration, but uh, we feel confident that slowly we'll make uh, a non-try into that, and that's clearly at the top of the pinnacle right now is Quebec. Uh, but, you know, I think what's more interesting for us is finally the traction that uh, Ontario and British Columbia are showing in opening stores. I mean, Ontario's talking about you know, in the realm of 40, 50, 30 to 50, 30 to 60 stores per month on the month, looking at 500 stores by April, doubling that to 1,000 by next September. That is very, very exciting for us. Uh, we've had conversations and uh, on greater capacity, and I think British Columbia uh, is moving in that, not as aggressively. And I'm excited about it because we've always talked about the fact that uh, it's like the end of prohibition in the U.S., except that the government of the U.S. did nothing to shut down the Kentucky moonshiner. So at some point here, when there's enough, uh, enough retail stores and a great channel for legal product, then we hope that uh, there will be uh, some pressure on the illegal trade and that will continue to increase greater penetration and market share for us going forward. Your next question comes from Aaron Gray from Alliance Global Partners. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, congrats on the quarter and as well as the uh, the recent acquisition of Pearson Farms. Um, you know, first question for me, uh, Mike, you just mentioned that you're pretty encouraged by the 2.0 products thus far, having just recently launched them in September. Just wondering if you could give uh, any incremental color there. Uh, you know, it's been another category where you're starting to see some some pricing pressure, even just looking at the OCS website. They have specific um, dedicated, um, you know, kind of channels just for like under, you know, $5, or I'm sorry, $7. So just curious towards what you're seeing in terms of those dynamics and how you think, um, you know, Pearson Farms is being positioned, especially kind of leveraging the brand equity you guys have right now within the flower category. Thanks. Oh, I didn't realize the price was that attractive. I must have missed that. But anyway, just kidding. Uh, well, you know, we did put some, I mean, Steve alluded to in his comments that, uh, we launched early, uh, and we were because we waited a long time, as you know, for our final extraction license. This is uh, we're in the extraction mode now, so we weren't that concerned with the margin. We kind of knew what our margin could be at a given price, and uh, 
we knew we were going to go out probably somewhere in the realm of 30% under existing uh, competitors, again, tied to the illicit trade and mimicking what we did on the flower side. So, uh, you know, we think uh, for the most part, we were going to allude to that we're a leading vape. Uh, our brands are kind of leading today, but we didn't say that so much in a release, but we've seen some data where we're sort of in the top three so far, and that's very encouraging, both on the quality of our offerings there. So I think pricing-wise, we think the margins are going to come in very similar to our margins on flour right now once we get traction, and I think that uh, that visibility will be there uh, when we report the fourth quarter. So we're, we think... Uh, yeah, there, there is going to be price compression, but that's something that we said from day one. So we're prepared for it now, models based on that. Okay, great. Thanks for that color. Um, and the second, obviously, Ontario has been a great province for you guys, done really well in terms of market share, but you're kind of asking a different way in terms of some, some traction with other provinces, you know, specifically looking at, you know, Alberta, which is also, you know, a big province for, um, you know, Canadian cannabis, you know, can you talk about, you know, some of the traction, you know, that you've had there and maybe how it might be different, you know, considering we're seeing in Ontario? Because obviously, you know, you've had great market shares in Ontario. So you can talk about, you know, the trends and maybe the differences in terms of buying patterns for the provincial buyers or what you're kind of seeing in, in Alberta. And uh, we might be able to see some more traction from some of those markets, too, because you've just been doing so well within Ontario. Thanks. Yeah, I think the reason we talk about Ontario is because we have the data. And we don't have the data in the other provincial governments, so we don't feel... We don't feel like we should talk about it because we'd be speculating somewhat where Ontario, you know, we're very pleased that we get that data. So uh, I wouldn't want to talk about it other than perception. And my perception from the Pure Sun Farms feedback is we're doing pretty well in Alberta and, and BC, except that BC needs to really increase the amount of stores. That really needs to happen. They've been pretty slow. It's still... Uh, the number one consumption in Canada. So the good news is there's a lot, a lot of growth there uh, based on cannibalization of the illicit trade. Uh, uh, and the second good news is that traction is starting to be recognized in BC. But it's going to take time. Like, for an example, even though we're doing well in, in the, the province of Ontario, but if you look at, I was just talking to, with Mandish yesterday about it, and like Mississauga, uh, a suburb of Toronto that has a million people, does not have one retail store yet. So that city council, I guess, has decided they're not ready. So that's a huge potential down the road when and if that happens. And so that's just an illustration of certain pockets that will take time to gear up on retail, and uh, we feel very encouraged about that. So that's the best color I can give on it right now. Your next question comes from Scott Fortune from Roth Capital Partners. Please go ahead. Good, good morning, and thanks for taking the question. Uh, can you provide just a little color on kind of the cadence of the 2.0 products um, and the velocity there at the provinces? It seems there's still, like you said, too many uh, competitors in there, too many brands. Some are moving and not, are, not all are moving at the inventory level for these provinces, but just kind of your sense for uh, the velocity uh, of your 2.0 products uh, moving forward. Well, we were sold out pretty quickly on the launch, so uh, we were actually, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, uh, so it, it sold out pretty quickly, and, uh, you know, the indications are we're going to gain, uh, we're gaining and will gain more traction, uh, including at our price point, coupled with the fact that it's pure cannabis. We're using our best strains uh, for the extraction. This is top of the lines, no byproducts or any of that. And we think that's going to resonate well. We feel really good with our 2.0 line. It's just that uh, we don't have a, even a full quarter under our belt. And we want to kind of just be a little more conservative till we can talk uh, specifics. So, um, But it is a grow, you know, the 2.0 products we have too. And, and we kept pretty myopic on where we were going with the products that have large market share. 
you know, we're not really focused on confectionery or beverage right now. Uh, maybe that'll come more in the future. Those markets still are relatively small to us. So uh, we want to get our penetration higher as quick as we can. And uh, so far, so good. So. How, and then follow up on that, how, how many 2.0 SKUs do you, do you have out there? And then kind of what's the sense for that uh, picking up or, or trends uh, of different products and SKUs as we look up to 2021? Well, I think there's about three, but we're launching another vapor as we speak. And as I mentioned on the last call, we're ready to roll out uh, edibles in the foreseeable future. Uh, so... That'll probably put us uh, initially at somewhere between five and seven. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, for us, that's a good start. It's a good start, good launch. And uh, once we get feedback, we'll see consumer feedback. We'll see what else we plan to do. Your next question comes from Eric Delore from Craig Hallam Capital Group. Please go ahead. All right. Uh, congrats on a solid quarter, guys. And thanks for taking my questions. Um, so you mentioned that you're at full production in Delta three and that Delta two could come online in 2021. Um, can you just help us understand what you need to see in the market before bringing Delta two online? Well, we need to see, you know, uh, you know, what we've done, like over the summer, we saw sort of a, things slowing down and, uh, we felt it would be prudent. You know, we always want to produce, uh, what we can sell. In fact, uh, without giving any numbers out, if you just look in the third quarter, like in August, we curtailed our production during the summer. And if you remember, Delta three was converted and we started to, we got into it originally wholesale production while we're still doing the conversion. So it was a great time for us to look at the market and say, we better slow things down, move some of our inventory out. And in fact, in the, in August alone, in the third quarter, we sold more than double what we produced. So taking that prudent conservative approach on reducing our uh, capacity over the summer proved out very well for us. Our, our inventory is right where we want it to be. The turn is solid. And uh, so now we're back into full production on Delta III. Uh, it takes time, as you know, to ramp up. Now, we've done the conversion and the capital is sunk into Delta II. It's just a matter of gearing it up and uh you know our expertise the 30 years of gearing up it's uh it's a process you just don't get to excellence overnight so we're going to start gearing delta 2 up to get our people uh up to speed and we envision uh that we'll start looking at increased capacity probably a third quarter and then prudently ramping that up based on uh, our supply demand uh, numbers. We're not in any rush to go to overcapacity. So we'll just be monitoring that every week as we go, or every month, I should say. And then, you know, keep in mind the way our facilities are set up with 16 to 17 grow rooms, we have the capacity to bring on it in a slow ramp up as opposed to just banging it. Okay, that's helpful. I appreciate the color there. Um, and then uh, maybe maybe turning to the U.S., um, you know, since the election, there's been more talk of cannabis legalization in Texas. Uh, one law firm projected Texas could produce billions of dollars in tax revenue. And just this week, we've seen uh, 13 pieces of cannabis legislation filed in the state. Can you comment on your readiness to serve a potential Texas cannabis market and how your existing agriculture business uh, could position you for a successful license application? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to front load any of our strategies except to say that we are working and have been working all out on multiple strategies. So uh, we're very excited about the U.S., but I don't want to put anything out at this point uh, other to say that I think, you know, if you look at our playbook, our principles, the results, and our achievements of what we've done in Canada, and by the way, we were nowhere near first, second, or third in the Canada. And in our opinion today, we're leading in every major met metric from our number one brand to a low-cost production, the most profitable, most consistently profitable. And those are results and achievements, I think, uh, will go a long way to 
us entering the U.S. market. So we're looking at the regulatory process, and we have multiple strategies. And uh, and I will say we're you know we're very excited about the possibilities in the U.S. for for village farms. Your next question comes from Andrew Parthenou from Stiefel GMP. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my questions and congrats on the great quarter, guys. You continue to set yourself apart from your peers. Thanks. Thank you. Um, just uh, on the ordering dynamics from the provincial boards, um, could you give us a little bit of color on on how um, that's going? You know, we we we've already seen a little bit of shift from big initial bulk orders to um, you know smaller orders but more frequent would you say that that is still the case and you called out your initial launch on 2.0 products selling out quickly um, you know how how quickly did you feel that uh, provincial boards reordered and are you satisfied with the inventories that you have at the retail level yeah, well, as, as I mentioned, I mean, this is still a very new um, distribution system. Um, provincial buyers are, as, as an earlier analyst mentioned, have a lot of excess of, of uh, certain SKUs or certain strains or vape pens that aren't moving. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, guesswork, I guess, on, on their part. Um, you know, we've been very happy with, with our sell-through. Um, when, you know, as Mike mentioned, we sold out of the vape pens, which on one hand you say, well, you know, that's a, a, a testament to, you know, strong demand. The flip side of that is, from a CPG standpoint, that's a lost sale. If, if, if the consumer goes in asking for a Pearson Farms flower brand or for a vape pen and they're out of stock, then... They're either buying something else or they're turning around and walking out of the store. So that's a lost sale for us. So, you know, as Mike mentioned, you know, we're, we're continuing to get, get more data. We're continuing to actively work with the provincial buyers. Um, again, a lot of, of incremental sales has to do um, with, um, you know, actively working with the buyers to make sure that store shelves are stocked with our product. Um, and you know, putting time and effort and people and resources behind manager inventory at all levels, uh, not just what we have on hand, but what's in re at the retail level and in the DCs is imperative to drive your long-term success of your brand. Yeah, and I think also, you know, Pure Sun Farms team has told us that they all want to grow, very much so. So the collaboration is more positive than ever and uh, the orders are becoming more consistent than they have been so uh, as Steve said and I think the team's noticed uh, they're getting better at their forecast and uh, we see it exceeding you know starting to exceed um, uh, the orders we're placing so uh, they're placing so we think it's uh, it's definitely in, in a better way Great, thanks for that. It's uh, very helpful. Um, switching gears to, um, you know, your your smaller product formats and and how they that might tie into, um, you know, the new strains that you guys launched. I think strain innovation is probably uh, a key thing that you guys have under your belt. And you know, anecdotally, I see on the front page of the OCS, um, you know, you guys are called out with your 28 grams of pink kush for $5 a gram. So can you give a little bit of color on, on what you guys are doing in terms of developing new strains, launching new strains, and how they that might have played a part in the good growth of uh, the small product format in this quarter? Well, that, that product you just mentioned was per personally earmarked to analysts living in Montreal that would come down over the weekend and uh, load up. <laughs> uh, 
It's a constant innovation process. I mean, they're, they're constantly, uh, obviously, buyers, uh, provincial buyers, consumers are always looking for something new and innovative. So it, it's a constant process, and that's one of the reasons that the Delta Delta Three facility and the Delta Two facility were designed the way they are, with multiple grow rooms, so we can constantly um, try new strains, um, both in the marketplace, but also on a cultivation standpoint. Yeah, and there's a lot of strains in the pipeline. I mean, our connection to our brand, that's one of the things about British Columbia, uh, world-renowned in cannabis production, and it's a huge difference. The That thread in the fiber of British Columbia cannabis is like no other in Canada. You're just not going to see that in Leamington. Uh, so that DNA, that history goes way back. So... I can tell you there's a lot of strains in the pipeline, and the team there looks very uh, strategically as they launch them, how, when, where. And so I think you'll continue to see, as Steve said, a lot of innovation uh, coming forward with new strains, and everyone is excited about it, and I think that's one of the benefits of our location in sort of the heart of cannabis territory in Canada. Your next question comes from Doug Cooper from Beacon Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Everything's been answered. Thanks very much. It's just the other day. Okay. Okay, we're good. I think we're good, Alfred. Thank you. Your next question comes from Rahul Saragasar from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Sorry, Mike. Uh, just, yeah, one last question. Um, so I know you said that you'd prefer to keep your U.S. strategy to yourself, but maybe you can just sort of elaborate more generally, given the, you know, the recent uh, changes in the U.S. at the, <clears throat> at the federal level, um, how you see things playing out and, and how village farms, uh, you know, would be, would be able to compete generally relative to the MSOs, which, you know, are quite in favor at the moment. Yeah, I think... Uh... Let me say this. I mean, the MSOs have done a great job. Uh, I think a lot of them, you know, they're pure play cannabis companies that have focused on bricks and mortar and distribution. Um, but, you know, in time, we believe that uh, interstate commerce will happen. And I think that's one area that's, that's where we shine the best. Uh, you just can't have five, seven, eight production facilities in a given state, uh, indoor, you know, five, six, seven growers or one grower going around if you're going to really try to have incredible strains and consistency. So one example with MSOs is as, as successful as they are, uh, and they will be more successful, especially the national ones, uh, big market cap, deep pockets, no doubt, but they're going to have to find how they can be uh, cost-effective because in the end, like we've proven in Canada, things will get competitive. And even if uh, in the end uh, there's a migration with technology less in flour to other deliverables, I think we could play our part. From a Texas perspective, if Texas, yeah, there's a lot of bills out there. We don't know. You know, unfortunately, Texas meets every two years, so we have this one window between January and May, whether it's a medicinal play there, I think, first rather than rec, or nothing happens and it's two years out. Uh, once we launch in Texas, uh, we'll be sort of first in with assets ready to go. We've already have our conversion plans. Uh, we're ready to go in Texas, and that's the size, uh, you know, same population nearly as Canada, and the way Texas is growing, it'll probably be very close in the next few years. So that in itself is like the Republic of Texas or a country, but that doesn't mean we won't work nationally, and we're prepared to look at, you know, if we have to do acquisitions or uh, strategic partnerships in other locations, uh, where we can bring our strengths to the table, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. We're pretty well known, as you know, Village Farms is, in principle, a U.S. company. That's where we are. So it's like coming home. And uh, we're excited about uh, an array of possibilities for us. 
Great. That's all for me today. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Carol. This does conclude the Q&A portion of our call, and I'd like to turn it back for any closing remarks. Okay, once again, thanks everyone for joining us today, and we certainly look forward to speaking with you on our next call. That'll be a very exciting one for the fourth quarter year-end, uh, full quarter of consolidation and uh, updates on how well we feel we're doing. I can just tell you I remain the largest and happiest shareholder on this call today. And I'm very excited about our opportunities going forward. I thank you for your participation today. Thanks, operator. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference call. Thank you once more for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.